This is the Shift Podcast. Hey, it's John Jang. Thanks for checking out the Shift Daily Podcast. On this episode, we speak with Jim Hewson, the voice of Hockey Night in Canada, a broadcasting legend who announced last week that he's stepping away after 42 years in the booth. We discuss his incredible career, and Jim shares insight into how to become the best in the business. On In Case You Missed It, Ryan O'Donnell details a rare find involving John Lennon and James Corden made the BTS Army very, very angry. Plus, are you okay with getting intimate? This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay? It's been a while since I've heard Roberto. Flawless on the guitar as always. So good to hear it. Are you okay with fantasy football? Hell no. No. I hate fantasy sports. Hate them. See, okay, back it up. Back it up. Because fantasy football caters to, like, your exact demographic, Ryan. Like, you're a young guy. You've probably got some, uh, what what do they call it? Um, uh, Money that you can use. It's, oh, right. No. Uh, No, he doesn't. Expendable currency? No? No, it's all spent on shoes. Yeah. Okay, well, fair (laughs) enough. Fair enough. Is buying shoes cutting into your love for fantasy football? Or is it just something that you don't care about? I don't like cheering for a player instead of a team. Like, oh. That's just weird to me. I just but that's like ninety percent of the NBA. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yes, that is fair. But the NBA is an exception to that. Fair. But I just think it's weird. Like I'll take them, I'll take that person, and then I'll put my money and bet. And then that I understand it like forces you to like watch more games mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. I think it takes you out of it a little bit. And I don't really like putting money on sports because I'm really terrible at guessing who's going to win mm. and all that. So it's just a, I I understand the appeal. I think it's fine if you want to play fantasy football. Right. But for me, uh, like we did a pool for who would win the cup, and I was in last. Fair I was enough. In dead last. Fair enough. Absolute last. It just can't win on those. I, I will say it's an acquired taste because it's like you're you're taking on an entire research assignment, right? It's like it's like it's homework yeah. and. At the end of the day, you watch sports to get away from homework and thinking and over-calculating. Uh, it's supposed to be a distraction, so I get where Ryan is coming from. Brendan, what about you? Fantasy football, are you into that stuff? Well, here's the thing. The last two years, my family has done, my American family has thrown America. me. America! Yeah, they've thrown me in their fantasy football league, and uh, 90% of the time, I forget to select my players, <laughs> and it it's auto-selects for me. Okay. And... I also mm. don't usually end up doing too badly, and it makes them very upset because I'll right. finish. I'll finish like mid of the pack or like mid pack up, upper mid of the pack. Sure, and it, it angers a lot of the people who, um, a lot of my family members who make very scientific picks. Right, and I'm still. You know, coming out on top, and I'm not even picking anything because yeah. AI knows. Yeah, AI, AI knows. Like when exactly. you, when you let the computer just draft your team for you, yeah, they're going to make uh, reasonably smart decisions. There's no margin of error because they have no emotions attached, right? They're not like, oh, we're going to choose this player because you happen to love this particular team that they play on. No, you just go by the numbers. Whichever player is projected to have the better performance that season, we're going to select that we're going to draft. Uh, as you can tell, based on my excitement talking about things like that, I love, I love, I love fantasy football. I, I can't go without it. My team just got absolutely uh killed for this weekend uh this past sunday uh not a great performance for my team my team's name by the way because part of playing fantasy football is having fun and creative team names strawberry fields forever 
Oh, I like it. Oh, that goes oh, with the psychedelic. Yeah, yeah, it goes the with the psychedelic. Nice. Yeah, because my quarterback was Justin Fields, who started today, got me less than seven fantasy points, which you might say, like, oh, seven. That seems like a big number. Quarterbacks, on average, are supposed to get you, like, 23. Yeah. So yeah. uh, <laughs> a rough day for Strawberry Fields forever. Yeah. yeah. Strawberry Fields might not last forever. No. I'll just put it that way. But we, okay, so here's the deal. We live in an age where people cheer for players uh, instead of teams. But if you happen to cheer for the Las Vegas Raiders, you had yourself a pretty good weekend. In the Silver and Blacks Week 2 victory over the Steelers, Raiders kickled, uh, kickle, <laughs> kicker, pardon me, uh, Daniel Carlson was a major difference maker as he converted all four of his field goal tries from 33, 41, 45, and 46 yards out. Uh, combined with his extra points, Carlson scored 14 of the Raiders' 26-17 victory on the road in Pittsburgh. That is not easy to do. He was named the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week honors. Great result, right? Well, it turns out that this particular win and the great performance came at Carlson's own expense, at least as it pertains to the fantasy football league that he himself plays in. Well, I will say I actually played against myself in fantasy this week in my own like friend group fantasy. Uh, and so that was tough because I, I took a loss. Um, and I definitely, definitely contributed to that. But uh no, so it, it's fun. I think fantasy is is great. Um, you know, it just gets people kind of more involved in specific players and, you know, in football in general. So, um, you know, I have a lot of fun with, with it with my college friends and, you know, a lot, a lot of people are messaging me and telling me, hey, you did great for me in fantasy. I was at an um, apple orchard the other day and someone, random guy, came up to me and told me I did a great job for his fantasy team. So, yeah, I, I think people are very invested in their fantasy teams, and I think that's great. I love this. I love everything about it because 95% of the time when you ask athletes like professional players about fantasy football or fantasy hockey or fantasy baseball – they roll their eyes so hard because they don't care. Most of them don't play. So I love the fact that A, a pro player is admitting that he plays and B, can at least laugh about the fact that his own real life performance caused him to lose that particular week. Uh, it's the fact that he's a kicker, which really puts the cherry on top. So if you don't know, like the inside joke is that anyone can be a kicker. It's really not that easy, by the way, but that's the joke with the NFL and the game of football. And Kickers generally don't make a ton of money. Like when I say they don't make a ton of money, they still make around like a million, two million bucks, which is great. But when you consider like the Russell Wilsons and the Aaron Rodgers make 35-ish million a year, uh, yeah, kickers probably are trying to find a way to make a little bit extra money on the side. So if you want to play a little bit of fantasy football, I think it's great. I love hearing and seeing more of this. I hope the next generation of our professional athletes in hockey and in all the sports can embrace it. And I know it's kind of dangerous because we're saying embrace gambling, but it's not really gambling. Like it's it's fun. If you've never done it but before, like, give it a try. Give it a try. This guy you can't knock went it. into the game betting against himself. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to be crap today. But, I'll make some money off that. But that's and then he thing. has an amazing game. He goes back to the locker room, goes – got to win for my team the Raiders are going to be good right and he looks at his computer and goes damn it I should have missed played like crap yeah tonight. but right? see that's just so mind-blowing to me I got to give credit to Mr. Carlson here because at the end of the day his loyalty to his actual team uh, it won out as opposed to loyalty to the possible money that he could have been winning uh, you know a game check that he's probably making is still far greater than whatever prize pool there is for this fantasy yes. football uh, love this and like I said if you haven't tried it before just give it a shot. 
do it. What can go wrong? Strawberry Fields forever. Seven points from Justin Fields. Let's uh, continue with some Are You Okay? Slightly, slightly, slightly different theme. Roberto going uh, wild card on us. Yeah. Are you okay with getting intimate, baby? Yeah. Very direct. Well, Mm. I mean, who? Well, I guess maybe some people aren't. Mm. I guess there's some intimacy issues some people might have. But I mean, who would be opposed? (laughs) Oh, baby. This is a really difficult question to answer. Really, honestly, isn't it? No. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. Just let the heart I don't really decide. know how much I want to elaborate on that, but yeah. It's a yes or no question, baby. <laughs> I'll just add the extra little oomph to the yeah and just go, yeah. Yeah. That's my answer. Are you okay with getting intimate? So, <laughs> look, um, you don't have to answer this one. I mean, you know, just... Decide for yourself at 877-399-9898. Uh, you could be honest. You you can lie. You can do whatever you like. Are you okay with getting intimate? I mean, come on. Let, let's not kid ourselves. It's it's a language, right? Getting intimate is a language, people. It, it's uh, usually nonverbal language about expressing your deepest love and heartfelt emotion to another person. And it's physical. It's raw. It's beautiful. <laughs> this is going on a blooper reel somewhere. Wow. I, I know wow. that. I, I know that. This angle. <laughs> but that oh. being said, are you okay with getting intimate? Again, you can let us know at 877 We're getting some bonus Sunday night health show here. Hey, Maureen McGrath, <laughs> thank you for doing a great job. Maybe she can answer this question yeah, next Sunday. Yeah. Uh, what about, okay, so what about getting intimate in a car? No. Mm-hmm. No. No. Not so much? No. no is that not, is that like no. spoken no. from experience? No, no, like no, I see no, you shaking your head. It's like, like a yeah. high school yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a high school thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. They make it seem so cool. And then Does it depend like, on the car? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. I mean, if you're comparing the experience of like a Nissan Armada and like a nineteen ninety two Toyota MR two, like, yeah, there's gonna be a different experience there. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, okay. Brandon? <laughs> No, no. Like, it's a very high school thing. Like I think mm. the intimacy in a car happened because there was nowhere else to go. And now that I'm 37, there's, <laughs> there's somewhere to go. Okay. <laughs> but you know what, guys? You guys are answering. You guys are answering this like it's it's way too technical. Like sometimes when when love calls, you can't just pick a place. You just have to listen to love. Okay. So with that said, uh, it, it is a pretty dangerous idea. But people have found ways to make it work, except for a particular couple. They actually had to be rescued by police after their car flipped on its side while they were uh, strengthening their relationship. So Derbyshire police responded to the scene of the crash where they discovered the parked Toyota Yaris had moved after the handbrake was dislodged. Won't explain how that happened. Uh, the couple was not hurt during the incident, but they had become trapped as the car blocked the road. The policing unit wrote on Twitter, quote, at an undisclosed location in Derbyshire, the couple occupying this Yaris had parked up and were, quote, strengthening the relationship. Whilst doing so, the handbrake had become disengaged and it rolled down a hill before flipping on its side. So, um, you're right. 
you're right. It can be a little dangerous. It comes with yeah. some risk, but some people like the risk. Okay, it doesn't That's always true. involve like property damage and the police and going on Twitter and then being made fun of all that. And there's no handbrakes usually involved. But I digress. Sometimes you just you got to listen. You got to listen to love. Maybe just like find some level level earth that you can park on. That, yeah. that would also yeah, be a, a very wise. Yeah. But, but yeah, the view must have been excellent. But I mean, <laughs> can you imagine how depends which amazing. window you're looking into. But yeah. That's true. Imagine <laughs> when the cops got there and they saw the car, just went, oh my God, and they walk in and then there's just this couple that are like laying down on their side. They're yeah. not injured. They're just completely naked. Yep. Hi, officer. We've had a doozy of a day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the oh, cop yeah. gets back to the to the station and goes, how am I going to tweet about this? <laughs> Jonathan, come over here. How do, what, what do I say? He just goes, uh, intimate? No, no, too direct strengthening their relationship oh there you go there you go that's that's the thought process but at least both of them involved here uh the two individuals that were strengthening said relationship they can now brag to their friends hey have you ever made love and then needed the jaws of life to come and help you out because i've been there i've done that no big deal just saying this is the shift podcast Because you expect the best line in hockey. Here's a pass to Messier. He's got a break over the blue line. He scores! Messier's back! Jim Houston, Tom Larshide, and John McKeechee. Vancouver Canucks hockey. For an entire generation of Canucks fans, Jim Houston wasn't just the voice of this team. He was the soul. Keen into the slot. Gretzky on the backhand. In behind the net. Wrap around. He scores! 99 with a goaltender down and out. The Hall of Fame broadcaster announced his retirement this week on Monday, hanging up the mic after 42 incredible years. I caught up with him earlier today to bring you this reunion. Jim Hewson's iconic voice, back on 980 CKNW. All right, a very special guest joining us here on the program. He is the voice of hockey for an entire generation of fans in this country, a man with a Hall of Fame career who really needs no introduction. But it is my pleasure to announce that Jim Houston is joining us. Uh, Jim, it's a pleasure having your voice back on CKNW, even if it's just for a few minutes today. So thank you for doing this. Oh, it takes me back a long way, John, to be on uh, NW again. I've, I've had a few opportunities since I actually worked there, but... Uh... Yeah, it's uh, good to be with you. Well, as you say, I mean, you've had a long uh, story connection with this radio station. You joined NW back in 1979. So to put you on the spot, what do you remember from your first few years working at what they would have called back then the Big 98? The Big 98, based on at 815 McBride in New Westminster. Um, Yeah, it was pretty cool. I was a young broadcaster and I was working in Brandon, Manitoba at a radio station called CKLQ. And I knew all about NW because I grew up in British Columbia. I I worked at radio station in the North. I grew up in Fort St. John. And uh, so one day out of the blue, I get a call from Al Davidson, who was the sports director, legendary Tiger Al, uh, who, who ran the sports department at CKNW. And he offered me a job, offered me a job to move from Brandon, Manitoba to Vancouver. And in like about two seconds, I accepted. Um, 
I, he didn't want me to start. It was like in May or June or something like that. And he didn't want me to start till the 1st of September. So it was okay. I took the summer off and drove my Volkswagen Westphalia through the mountains and visited some friends and did some things and took the summer off and arrived in Vancouver and ready to go to work and realized that not, not once had I ever talked to him about how much money I'd be making. I guess, <laughs> it didn't matter. Didn't matter to me. I was, I was moving to Vancouver. I was working at, the, at CKNW. And uh, yeah, so I, I worked in the sports department and uh, got to uh, just got to work with so many legendary people that mean so much to me in my career. And it was the first time that uh, I, 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 you know, I'd worked in the business, but I hadn't really worked in the business when I got to NW. I knew I was, I was in the broadcasting business and it was pretty cool. Well, by the time the 90s started rolling around, uh, Jim Robson, who, of course, a uh, legendary broadcaster of, as well, uh, he makes a transition to TV. That opens up things for you with NW to sort of fill in for Jim when he's doing such things. Uh, so many people looked up to Jim Robson, but I'm wondering, who did Jim Houston at that point look up to as a broadcaster who was established at that point, but still, I'm sure, in inspired and awed by so many in the business? Oh, we're still back in the 70s here, John. So I reel it back to when I was uh, a high school kid in Fort St. John, B.C. One of my, uh, my part-time jobs was at the radio station, and what I would do is sit in the evenings on the, the control board and plug in the commercials because the radio station that I worked at carried the Vancouver Canuck games and the B.C. Lion games, so I would listen to Jim Robson call the hockey games. And when he went to commercial break, I'd plug in the local commercial. Uh, I'd listen to Jim Cox do the BC Lion games. And when they went to commercial, I'd plug them in. So I, got a, so I knew these guys. I, I felt like they were friends of mine. I was listening to them all the time. And um, I didn't, can't say that at that time I thought, geez, I'd like to be there that job or I'd like to have that job or I'd like to be like him. But I knew them. I felt like I knew them. So... When in, when in the late 70s, I got to CKNW um, and got to meet them and got to watch what they do firsthand and learn from them. It was a pretty special experience. There was a whole bunch of other people around there. Uh, people who are listening to the radio station today that are of the same age as I am that will know the names of Warren Barker and John McKittrick and Carl Ways and Arnie Eck, and Frosty Forst, and Rick Honey, and Earl the Pearl Bradford. Those are the people I got to work around. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just the sports people. It was all these professional people who were bigger than life and were so good at what they were doing that taught me and, you know, sort of led me along. So it was, it was a bigger-than-life experience for me as a kid uh, wandering on the 815 McBride who didn't own a suit and could barely afford gas. Uh, I know that feeling. Trust me, I do. Uh, gas prices have gone <laughs> up. So I, I understand that feeling quite well. Uh, Jim, you know, we, we fast forward here just a tad, if you will. Uh, 42 years later, you've managed to call thousands and thousands of games in your legendary career. Is there one, I mean, it's, it's a question I'm sure you've been asked so many times already over the past number of days. Is there one game or one call that stands out in your experience as maybe a personal favorite for whichever reason? No, John, and thank you for asking. And so many people have, but I, I you know, it's hard, really hard to pick out one from another. 
there's so many good times, so many good games. And when you, when you broadcast Stanley Cup finals every year, each one has a story to tell. Some, are, some finals are better than others. You know, some are seven-game series, some are five-game series. But each one means so much to the people that are involved in it that it, it would be disrespectful to suggest that one series is better than another, that one game is better than another. I know that the best team that I've ever seen play the game is Team Canada at the 2014 uh, Winter Olympics in Sochi. That is the most precision-like, best hockey team I've ever seen play the game. Um, there are some, some great teams in Vancouver. There have been some great games all along the way. But I've always been appreciative of, of many of them. I, I may even go back to the times when I was broadcasting junior hockey games at TSN and John Slaney from Newfoundland scored a goal to win the gold medal for Canada in Saskatoon in 1991. It was just such a special moment to be a part of. So there are a whole bunch of them. Hard to, it's hard to rank them. It's just, it's just so cool to have been around so many of them and had an opportunity to see them firsthand and communicate them to other people. Very fair points. I, I appreciate the response. Uh, now, I am curious, because you've called so many games over so many years, would you say that the game of hockey today is the best that it's ever been? Or do you feel that there was something special about how the game used to be? No, I'm never going to be the guy who lives in that world that says, I liked it better on the old days. No, there were days that I, in the early days that I was broadcasting hockey games, there were four hour games because if you looked at somebody sideways, you had to fight them. And, you know, the game went on forever. And it was just, there was a lot of senseless violence in the game. I understand toughness and I've never been one to, uh, to shy away from that. And I, you know, I, I always thought, you know, good scrap in a game was never a big deal as long as nobody got hurt. But as time has gone on, uh, I haven't missed it. Um, I think the game is played at a higher level now than it's ever been played. The, the players, the, the, young, the young stars are so good. They're so well-trained. They're absolutely fabulous players, and they're, and they're great at a younger age because they get so much training. Um, and the, sadly, the guys who are older are younger guys. They're, they're older at a younger age, if you know what I mean, mm -hmm. um, and they're out of the game. But, the, you know, the, the guys that used to hang on in the game because they could be fourth-line players and fight don't hang on in the game anymore. The fourth-line players might not score anymore and, and still don't score, but they can skate and they can do an awful lot of other things in the game. So I think that the game of hockey is in really good shape, and it's been fun to watch it evolve. I remember – and people in Vancouver and many who are listening will remember Howie Meeker. The late Howie Meeker was a really good friend of mine. And uh, we used to talk about this all the time. And he would say on television and off, and he would constantly rail on the fact that, ah, oh, we're not, our Canadian guys, we're not teaching skills. We're not skilled enough. We're not good enough. And people would argue with him about it. But he was right. He was right. And as it turns out, we started teaching people to be skilled and, you know, skill and skating became far more important in the game and our players became so much better because of it. And look what we've got now. We've got these fabulous young, many of them Canadian stars all around the league. I think it's a, it's a golden era in the game because there, there is a, there's superstar players everywhere. What would your advice be for aspiring broadcasters who – 
you know, listen to you call these games and think that's what I want to do. That's my dream. That's my passion. I wanted to be the next uh, Jim Hewson. What would your advice be for those that want to get oh, into boy. the game? Um, geez, that's tough. I suppose, you know, you have to be ready to to roll with the punches and go to different places. It, it's a little harder now because the radio station world is not what it was when I was a kid. There was, you know, there was a radio station in every town and you might be able to get a job and you might be able to go out to Moose Jaw or you might be able to go to Brandon as I did or go to Penticton as I did and work at a small radio station and learn your craft and do a whole bunch of things. That's a lot harder because there aren't that many places, but there are still places there, you know, where they, they stream all the games in the BC Hockey League and places like that. So I would say if you want to follow your dream, then do it and learn about it and understand the game you're watching. Uh, understand what you're watching um, because so many people think that the, the craft of play-by-play is all about learning names and numbers. Well, it's not. That's simple memorization. What is really, what will really take you to the place you want to be is understanding what you're watching and being able to communicate it to an audience. And so, uh, like I did, I, I'm not sure that it was, I was following a dream. I was following $50 more a month. But, it, it, you know, just if you're willing to be portable, willing to move around, willing to try anything, uh, you can get where you want to go. I think you can still do it in today's world. It's just, it's just a little different world. You'd have to go off and stream the game somewhere. But you can still do it. There are still opportunities. And many would argue, Jim, that you can still absolutely do it. So people will be curious, you know, what made now the right time to hang up the mic and call it a, a career? Um, done it for long enough. Accomplished uh, what I wanted to do, which was, you know, to, uh, to, be at the, to work at the highest level and work on the last day of the season. And got to do that a few times. Plus, you know what? It's uh, it's time for another generation. I, I I always knew that I would never do this in, until they pushed me out of the booth. I would always leave in my own, own terms. And then you know we have this COVID environment that has happened in the last couple of years, which has changed a lot in, in terms of the protocols and restrictions at hotels and airports and rinks and changed changed the way we do things. So I just thought uh, I was probably closer to the end and the start of my career when all of this started and thought that the window was open and it was a great opportunity to step aside and I'm quite peaceful with that decision. This is The Shift Podcast. In case you missed it on the radio, here's absolutely shift-faced. Now, Donald. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And, right? and just That's a quick note, because uh, I, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to Maddie before uh, he, he left. So uh, we, we love Maddie. We miss Maddie. Uh, heck of a, you know, heck of a guy. And I'm so glad that he's doing something that he loves with music and guitars and just living his dream. So sorry. I just Absolutely. wanted to get that out of the way. No, yeah. no. Great point. Yes. And he has left us with some amazing music that we continue to manipulate and meme the crap out of every week here on The Shift. Absolutely. Okay. John teased it. I'm going to get right into it because it's a pretty cool story. Once again, I'm going to make this uh, this statement, this very bold statement, that I am not a fan of the Beatles. 
Uh, not, do not yeah. enjoy the Beatles music. I respect the hell out of the Beatles. I always just kind of, when I listen to the Beatles, it's kind of like, yeah, they were like the first to do it. But I feel like other people did it better. Oh, I know. Oh, I know how people oh, that must be scandalous. Oh, I know. No. I know. But hey, I love the impact the Beatles have had on music. And uh, I will never deny that. Never. Okay. Okay. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Bold take. Right. I think this story is amazing, and I don't really like the Beatles. So just keep that Stop in mind. Stop saying that. You know how many intros they can make? That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> dangerous. Make it permanent. Uh, yeah, I've, this opinion has been well documented for a long time. Okay, so a Canadian family has dug up very rare tapes involving... Absolutely. One of the most influential musicians of all time, John Lennon. Oh. What they found was newly discovered interviews between John Lennon and a Canadian broadcaster. And it's really cool because the interviews are about like what music John loved the most uh, and uh, the influences and what, you know, that kind of thing. And it's a little bit more of an insight into what kind of a person John Lennon was. Uh, so we've got Crystal Commanding from Global News taking a look at what they dug up and some of the impact and what was learned. Uh, and the really cool Canadian connection here. I am pleased to say, despite not being a fan, that you are about to hear an interview with John Lennon that has been lost to time until right now. Let me take you Beatle music do you look upon as being outstanding? Well, I'm prejudiced. I like my own, you know. And so I don't know, you know. I like Revolution Number 9. One voice, a music legend. The other, a Canadian journalist from Winnipeg. Name other favorites from the 60s. Walrus, Strawberry Fields, Day in the Life. Why Walrus, for instance? Because I wrote it and I like it, you know. The late Ken Zelig's multiple interviews with John Lennon and Yoko Ono were discovered this past summer. A Beatles treasure hidden away in Los Angeles in the garage of his youngest daughter. The family has chosen to put the reels all 91 minutes up for auction. Interesting topics that he covers are the, you know, the songs that he was, he likes the Beatles songs that he likes, his relationship with the Beatles, um, his his love for Yoko and their relationship. The Beatles are a cultural touchstone. The Abbey Road crosswalk is proof of that. It's one of the most pictured locations in London. Hannah Zelik, the eldest daughter, didn't want to go on camera, but she did tell me sitting and listening to her dad's recordings made it feel like John Lennon was in her home speaking directly to her. An experience up for grabs come September 28th. That is really cool. That is it's fascinating. Pretty sweet. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. I got to say, John Lennon sounds a lot like Morrissey in those interviews. What song <laughs> is your favorite? Well, the one I wrote, of course. Oh, uh, that's so John. <laughs> like, if you know, if you've done yeah. a deep dive on, on just the personalities that uh, all of them comprised, you know, the Beatles for, I, John giving an answer like that is just typical John. But that's, yeah, that's what made him great, you know? Yeah. I, uh, have you guys ever seen uh, the movie Nowhere Boy? nowhere boy nope it's about john lennon like them forming the beatles like when he's really young this came out in like 2009 mm. aaron taylor johnson's in it it's good it's a good movie 
neat little uh, insight into uh, what kind of a person he was, obviously through the lens of a movie. Uh, but yeah, so there's a bunch of tapes here, and the, the pictures of the tapes are amazing. I mean, just a musical vintage stuff here uh, is, a, is beautiful. And obviously, these are going to go for crazy money at the auction. No guess yet, but you know I will bring it to you once we have the final statistics of the numbers of the money. But we got to get more here. So Robin needed to check in with Alan Cross, music broadcasting legend and a friend of The Shift. He says that Beatles memorabilia in particular is going up in value and the demand is crazy high. And these pieces are crazy rare. The idea of being the owner of uh, a number of interviews that have never been released to anybody up until this time, that's a pretty good bit of memorabilia. John, could you give me some idea what uh, the Beatles plan to do in the future? Well, the Beatles don't usually plan their future, you know. We play everything by ear. Let me take you down. Gold dust unearthed during a pandemic cleaning spree. Crystal Gamansing, Global News, London. Again, just like knowing that you've got something that so many people will want uh, and, and, you know, being able to share that with the world. I mean, that that is just that is just incredible stuff. Yeah, right. It's pretty sweet. And uh, I I pose to you, gentlemen and shift heads, a question. Text it 877-399-9898. I want to hear if you have your own little piece of rare music memorabilia. It doesn't have to do anything with the Beatles. Hmm. For me, I have two. I have a piece of the Berlin Wall, which was taken uh, after the uh, uh, Roger Waters concert when they tore down the wall. So they played on top of the wall and then they tore it down and with pickaxes and then they grabbed all the rubble and put it in these boxes. Hmm. And I have a piece of the Berlin Wall from that concert and I have a misprint of Metallica's second album, Ride the Lightning. And instead of the blue cover, it's all green. And there's actually like some of the words aren't translated properly on the wow. sleeve. And it's beautiful. It sounds amazing. It's cool. So I want to hear if you've got any neat music memorabilia. Because I love music memorabilia. I it's feel like Brendan cool would have something between the two of us. I really Probably. don't have much, actually, to be honest. Um, uh, at the Hard Rock Cafe in 2002, the band Default through their... <laughs> threw their drumstick into the audience and it hit me really hard in the head but i have kept it to this day <laughs> oh there you go there that's, you go that's one way to catch a drumstick yeah i, I still have i it. appreciate yeah. that yeah it says default nice. on it and there's lots of dents and chips out of it because they used it during the show like, i was right. never a major default yeah, fan sweet. but it's a good story to tell you know what dallas dallas smith who was the front man for default uh, default wow default part of me uh we could get him on the show we can get him to i mean i know he's not the drummer but we can get him on the show he's based out of langley we can get him to apologize for right. whacking in, you in, the, in head. the head hard rock cafe downtown toronto whacked wow. in the head by default's drumstick you heard it her here first listeners heard it her you heard yeah. her first default Brilliant. <laughs> attacking Make- shift staff yeah. Making their comeback. Yeah. No here kidding. on the shift. I love it. <laughs> okay, so we go from one amazing story to a story I know will make John angry. Uh oh. What is the most effective armor in the world? Is it a suit of plate mail? Maybe some uranium plated armor on a tank? Nope. None of that. It's an army of fans that will do literally anything to defend your honor. Mm. And the biggest army of all are loyal to the K-pop supergroup. Oh, BTS. Oh, no. 
this story is crazy, guys. So last week on The Shift, I highlighted how South Korea sent BTS to the UN General Assembly to be diplomats. They performed a show there. They had a speech where they said stuff like, you can sense the good vibes and all this. And it blew up, got something like 16 million views in a matter of of hours. The music videos got over 30 million. Uh, I mean, they're one of the biggest groups in the world. They're probably Mm. the biggest pop group in the world for sure. Uh, It's it's crazy. And this isn't unique to BTS. I'm sure, John, you know this because I know you've done a lot of reading and look at the the culture and industry of K-pop. But K-pop fans are insane. Yep. Are they are so devoted to the bands that they enjoy that it's 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 kind of like it's almost intimidating. It is. Yeah. And this got a little out of hand because James Corden, the the comedy guy, the British guy, I don't think he's very funny at all, but you know, <laughs> he's very big. He's got a show, he does his thing. Uh, He spoke about this on his late show, and the fans didn't like what he had to say. And it started with some pretty unusual visitors, BTS. BTS fans, known as the ARMY, didn't appreciate the word unusual because the group has addressed the UN before. The world leaders have no choice but to take BTS seriously. At the end of the day, BTS has one of the largest armies on planet Earth. And the BTS army declared war on Corden for saying this. Historic moment. It actually marks the first time 15-year-old girls everywhere found themselves wishing that they were Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez. Some fans considered 15-year-old girls stereotyping, you stink, dude. Corden began trending as critics declared, you are canceled. Oh, no. Oh, and they did what they did was they went on Google and I think this is disgusting. You should never do this. Mm. This is so childish and so irresponsible. They went on the uh, Google page for his show, which had a 4.6 on Google and they review bombed it. Oh, it now has over 30,000 reviews. 34,000. And the rating has gone from 4.6 to 1.2. These are people who have never watched his show. Mm. These are people who don't care about his show. They are literally just review bombing and harming his content because they disagreed with a point he made on a late night comedy show. Shame on you. Mm. This is like you're getting mad about being called 15 year old girls. And then you do something that a 15 year old would do. Right. It's just so ironic. And it, this makes me so angry because you should be able to love your band with every inch of your fiber. If you love BTS so much, you would do anything for them. That's cool. But this is not okay. Mm. And especially if they're, they're at the UN General Assembly calling for the world to unite and put a better world after COVID. This is what you do? Come on. Like, this is, this is getting out of hand. I, I have two thoughts. One, I really didn't think that what James Corden had to say was really all that bad. Like, it it really wasn't all that bad. Like, it is a little unusual for any super pop group to be at the UN General Assembly. Like, that's just, that's factual, right? Like, anyone that knows anything about international political affairs at the UN, like, yeah, it's strange. Uh, That being said, number two, this was entirely, entirely predictable. 
Like James Corden yep. has a te- has a team, right? He's got producers, executive producers. He's got interns. He's got staff on that team. And they would have had to do just a quick Google search to understand how determined Korean or you know what? Just doesn't they don't even have to be Korean. Just K-pop fans can be because it is to the extreme a lot of times. I mean, you know, fan, the word fan, being a fan of something uh, means that at some point you are like a fanatic. These people are exactly that. They take it one step further. They are 100 percent fanatics. And this could have been completely avoidable if they just decided, oh, we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, stir up the hornet's nest, so to speak. So in, in a way, I, I'll just put it out there. There's no such thing as bad publicity. So in a way, like, you know, we're nope. talking more about BTS. We're talking more about James Corden. And even though the review bombs are really, it's a toxic action. It's a toxic behavior. It should never be condoned. Thankfully, James Corden and the show does not operate within Google reviews, right? They operate based on television ratings and, and all that kind of stuff, downloads. I don't think this will impact James's bottom line all that much. Certainly not going to impact BTS all that much, but really nobody wins here. It's like a lose-lose situation. And just one more reminder Absolutely. to me that I'll never listen to K-pop. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.